determined that they're benign, they're not cancerous. So that's a good thing. So just got that recently. So praise the Lord for that. First Thessalonians chapter 2, we're make, working our way through our Bible study, First Thessalonians. Go with me to verse 13, please. Well, we do this. I like to hear God's people read the Word of God. I'll read the odd number of verses. You read the even number of verses, and we'll read it together in verse 20, okay? I'll start off for us. All right. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which ye, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Church, for ye, brethren, became followers of the... who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men. Altogether, church, forbidding us to speak. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Church, wherefore... For what is our joy, our hope, or, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. Father, tonight we are so thankful that you love us. And God, we can't get over how much you love us. God, you have a love for us that's inseparable, a love that's unconditional, a love that just keeps on going. Thank you, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us so. And God, when we read the scriptures, thank you for loving us through your word. Thank you that the Bible is God's love letter to your people. We thank you that the, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword to the piercing and dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrows and is a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. We thank you, God, for 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, where it says, it tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thank you tonight. You know our lows and you know our highs. God, you know when we're honest. You know when we're dishonest. God, you know when we're right with you, and you know, Lord, when we need to improve our walk with you. God, you know when we're strong and you know when we're weak. God, I pray that you meet every need that as people make their way to church tonight and people watching by way of live stream, meet every spiritual need tonight, especially as Lord, we consider the doctrine of the local church. We consider this church at Thessalonica and the key words we found in verse 14, where they became followers of the churches of Judea. And God, there's something for us to be found there, especially in this day and age of apostasy, defection, and moving away from the standards of God's word. And people, just as they have over the years, trying to find something better, trying to improve upon God's Word, trying to improve upon what you've already established. And God, settle in our hearts tonight that we have convictions about your church, and we have convictions about your Word, and we have convictions about the Christian life. And tonight, Lord, we just pray for a revival time that you give us. Quicken our ears. The Bible says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. God, help us to hear carefully. Bless and use our, our, our translators, Lord, that they would translate so that those listening by hearing devices, would be, would be encouraged and help. And you help us tonight that we come with hungry hearts and thirsting souls for the Spirit of God to speak to us. Lord, we glorify and please you as the God of the Word. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. And all God's people say amen. You may be seated. 
Well, everybody knows the importance of following a good example or successful model. That's kind of the thing we will look at today. You know, what is the model that you look at? And I want to look at two models that everyone is familiar with to kind of just kind of stir you up for a moment. Model number one is In-N-Out Burgers. Amen. In-N-Out Burgers, all right? I knew that would get you excited there, all right? Just take a good look at those french fries. Don't they just make you want to water in your mouth and look at that hamburger and the drink there? Doesn't that just make you want to leave church right now and go eat? Don't you dare leave church right now, amen? But, uh, you know, In-N-Out Burger is privately owned. They're, they're not a publicly traded company. They're privately owned. I think it's in, uh, in the third generation. I think it's the granddaughter of the, of the founder. The company was started in 1948 down in Southern California. And uh, as of today, they say that they have about 342 locations. They're kind of more regional in nature. They're not national in scope. And, uh, but, you know, something about In-N-Out, when you think about all their competition, you think about McDonald's and Wendy's, and they're all good, when McDonald's and Wendy's and and uh, you think about, uh, you know, Burger King and things like that and Jack in the Box. And then you think about some of our local models like, you know, Fuddruckers or you think about Barney's Burgers or something local like that. I mean, there's all these local ones. There's something about In-N-Out that just, that, that, just, it, it, that, that you have to just kind of look at from a business standpoint. It is a proven and successful business model for simply one thing. They sell a lot of hamburgers. They know what they do well, and they do it right. They haven't got sidetracked. We need to offer exotic coffees. They haven't got sidetracked. We've got to start offering breakfast burritos, and that's okay. I'm for breakfast burritos, but I'll be honest with you. If I want a breakfast burrito, I'm going to go to a Mexican place that has breakfast burritos and know how to do them right. Amen? I mean, I'm just going to do it where they put the chorizo on it, and they know how to make it happen. Amen? You know? And so, but you know, I mean, just McDonald's is good, but they just don't come close to somewhere like, uh, like Los Pericos and places like that. Okay? So, but I mean, they do a good job. They just make good hamburgers, right? I mean, they make it very simply they just a simple menu hamburgers fries and you tell me what kind of drink you want. You want coffee? Fine, we'll give you coffee. You want milk? Give you milk. You want a milkshake? Amen. We'll give you milkshake. In fact, we'll give you three kinds of milkshake. We'll give you strawberry, chocolate, or vanilla. You want a soda? We got all kinds of soda. Want lemonade? We'll give you lemonade. I mean, it's a very basic, basic format you have that since 1948 has been proven. It works, and it makes a lot of money there. I mean, everything's fresh there. And uh, you go to In-N-Out, it's easy. You walk in, you can eat there. You can walk in, have takeout. Or like I like to do, you just drive up. I might do that tonight. You just drive up, drive up to there and get a takeout and go home. And you just kind of figure what you do. And I'll just tell you what I do. I don't get all the exotic stuff. I just tell them I want the regular hamburger. I said replace the spread with ketchup because I don't want to clog my arteries. Amen. You know, of course, I know there's sugar and ketchup. So that's bad, but that's okay. But anyway, you put the ketchup on instead of spread. I tell them, you know, grill the onions, extra lettuce, extra tomato. And, uh, you know, you're happy. You're happy camper. A little bit more carbs than you should have. But it's okay with the buns. But it's okay there. They have a proven model. You know what they prove? They prove something that as a kid growing up, Bob and Sally, you appreciate this because you knew this. But when I was a kid growing up, they used to have this model. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Amen? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay? Things that work, you don't need to improve on. Hey, Henry Ford, when he came out the automobile, he said, this is what's going to work. We're going to have the Model T. And they said, man, this is the greatest thing that we've ever seen. And he said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. When IBM computer came out with those mainframe computers, they said, this is what's going to change the world. Well, that little do they know, we'd go from these mainframes to just, you know, little, little things now. But they had this model. They said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, I think of in and out it's not broken. They're not trying to fix it. Amen? They're just doing a good thing and doing it right. I, I want you to look at another model tonight. Another model I want you to think about is Airbnb. How many of you use Airbnb? A lot of you use Airbnb, okay? Now, Airbnb is kind of an interesting model there because Airbnb is an online marketplace that enables people to list, find, and rent accommodations. So in other words, they don't carry inventory. 
They're basically the go-between that puts together the renter and the one who wants to rent out his, 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 his space there. So basically, they, they're an online uh, cap- uh, method for where people can do that. And so they, they're the biggest accommodation provider in the world, which is amazing. They don't own a single room, and yet they, have a, they just believe they can put the people together and help a homeowner or someone who has an apartment to rent it out profitably and to get it to help somebody else find a place. I mean, they just kind of pull this all together, and it's a very profitable business model. Now, as we stand here today, as you sit there and I stand here today, you look at Airbnb and what the profitability they're making, they're just making one statement. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. They, they have no intent to fix it. I think they'll make improvements over time, but they have, they have a model. They're saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, we can go on and on, and I get kind of fired up talking about business models, but we're not here tonight to talk about business models because there's only one business we're here about. That's God's business. Amen? So we're not here about business models, but we are here tonight as we look at verse 13 to 20. We need to look at church models because we have we have to understand today that there's so much accessibility to information and the internet is filled with so much stuff some good a lot of bad and a lot of stuff there's a lot of chatter going on and through a lot of social media things that there's young men and older men kind of thinking that maybe that there's something broken with God's word and there's something broken with the church and there's something broken about our models and there's young Baptists growing up who think there's something broken about that the Baptist movement. And I want to declare to you tonight as we study the Word of God, God's Word is not broken. Someone's not broken. The church is not broken. None of that's broken. Being Baptist is not broken. Why? Because if it ain't broke, you don't need to fix it. Amen? So I want you to consider the Word of God tonight as we look at this passage of Scripture. Notice the, the key thought I want you to, I'm giving you my driver from that all ties together is found in verse 14. Paul is talking to this church. You remember in the previous verses, he spoke about his motive. He spoke about his approach. I talked about the, the matter of the faithful soul winner. If you didn't hear that, you need to hear that because it'll help you in your soul winning application, your methods there. But he talked about being a faithful soul winner and how he was long-term in his approach and how he did things. Now he shifts this in verses 13 to 20 and he shifts his thought about this church and commending them for staying straight on things. And I'll I'll kind of get into that a little bit more. But notice verse 14, he said this, for ye, brethren, became followers or mimickers or copycats of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Now that's very important, because Paul did not stay there at Thessalonica for a very long period of time. And a concern to him as a church planter, a concern to him as a pastor, is he realized you need to spend time with people so they catch the heart of things. But this church, God had endued the leadership of that church, and realizing even though Paul wasn't there, they needed to follow a good example. They needed to follow the right example. And Paul commends them here in verse 14 for being followers of the churches of God, which in Judea, which were in Christ Jesus. Not just the church of Jerusalem, which I might say that tonight. Not just the church in Jerusalem, but all the outlying churches throughout the Judean landscape, which is huge. All the churches that, the churches were started, they all had the same pattern. They all were fundamental in their pattern. They all were biblical in their pattern. They were all evangelistic in their pattern. They were all straight in their pattern. They all had Bible preaching in their pattern. He says, you became followers of those churches, and as a result of that, you have also suffered like things as we have. And so Paul was thanking this church at Thessalonica. I'm going to tell you tonight, I may refer to some models of days gone by, maybe current day models I'm thankful for, but I want to say tonight, if I don't, I'm just thankful for Heritage Baptist Church tonight. Amen? I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for where we're at. 
I'm thankful for our people. I mean, we're just what we are. I just kind of feel like right now, with the staff and I were talking about this today, I just kind of feel like what we're at, we're just in the, we're, we're in the devil's hornet nest. And I just kind of feel like as hard as we work and everything we do, that, that is, we'll see later on, Satan's always trying to hinder us, keep from doing what we do. But I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for what God has given us. There's a spirit here that I, that I wouldn't replace anywhere else. There's, there's an enthusiasm here that I love. There's a joy and a love for Christ. There's a hunger for the word of God. There are people that love Jesus here. That excites me, amen? And I, there's just a, a joy about that. There are people that are real about Christ. There are people that take care of others. We just have a great group of people here that we could brag on all night long. But tonight, we want to look at how this church at Thessalonica followed a great model. Now, I want you to see four things tonight. These are four critical things. I want you to sit in your seat tonight, not to sit in the seat of the scornful. I want you to sit in the seat tonight as if you're a Bible college student. You're getting theological training and Bible Institute training tonight. I want you to sit and think about tonight as we expand a little bit on what we call the doctrine of the local church ecclesiology. I want you to hear some things as we go from, as we look at ecclesiology biblically and we look at contemporary theology today in terms of the trends and movements and where does the church fit in all that and how the Bible answers. I'm going to tell you, people change, times change, but God doesn't change. The truth of God's word is timeless. God's word is, is, is relevant. God's word is not obsolete. God's word tells us exactly what we need. And so so tonight, I want you to just put your, I want you to put a Bible student cap on this evening, buckle your seatbelt down, and I want you to see four thoughts tonight that God gives us from verses 13 to 20. First of all, in verse 13, would you notice the foundational pillar of a model church? The foundational pillar of a model church. And listen very carefully as we read verse 13. Paul is writing and thanking God for them, and he says this, for this cause also thank we God. Now let's stop there for a minute. Are you thankful tonight? I'm going to start that again. Are you thankful tonight? Amen. Oh, you ought to come to church thankful, amen? Yeah. Number one, thank God that you got out of traffic. Amen. Thank God when you got the intersection, nobody rear-ended you. Thank God you came to the park that you didn't run me over, amen? amen? Okay. Hey, thank God tonight you came to church and there was a parking space, amen? amen. Hey, thank God tonight you're saved. Amen. For this cause, thank we God. Now, I'll tell you, a church that's always thankful is a church always in a constant state of revival. When you're thankful, you got a, you got a smile on your face. You're thankful. You're just thankful to be where you're at. So Paul's writing to this church here, and he's shifting from just, you know, he's heavy and hard. He says, for this cause, thank we God without ceasing. That's good. Thanksgiving is not just Thanksgiving time. He says, without ceasing. Because, now listen very carefully. God's going to speak to us on this. When you receive the word of God, he said, ye receive what ye heard of us. You received it not as the word of men. That's important now. But ye, as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now Paul's saying something very important here. He said, when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you didn't receive it as the word of men. Now that's important because, you know, um, let's just be, be honest for just a minute. Now, there's a little bit of carnality in us when we hear preachers, Okay. And there are preachers that we enjoy hearing. They have a great gift of communication. You know what I'm talking about? There's just some preachers. I mean, Tom Farrell's great gift. Of, he's a great preaching ability. Now, I want to be careful when I talk about gift of communication because, number one, a preacher is anointed. Yes. 
There's a difference in being gifted and being anointed. I'll use the term gifted, but he's anointed. I, I think of preachers that I grew up under, like Dr. Lee Robertson, men like that. Those men were anointed of God, okay? They're preachers today that are anointed of God. Uh, Roy Thompson, you ever listen to any of his messages? He's not exactly a strong expository preacher, but he was anointed of God. God used that crusty old guy to build a church in Cleveland, Ohio that ran 2,000 people during some difficult moments of time. I mean, just, you think about it. I, I think of Kevin Folger, who, who's preached in our pulpit. He's anointed of God. He's a great man of God. And so many men. There are men I'm trying to get to get in our pulpit. We, pr- we pray tonight for uh, Pastor Kerry Nance. I'm hoping he'll come and preach for us next year. Kerry Nance is a powerful preacher of the Word of God. He is anointed of God. He's a greatly used man of God. He's been through, I mean, you talk about going through some trials. He's been through some trials. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Guys you've never even heard of uh, that, that are just greatly used of God. They're anointed of God. I think of my good friend, Dr. Brother Ta- Ta- Tim Gibson, over there in, in, in uh, um, uh, to see, up there in, in the Missouri area there. Outside of Huntsville, and you know he's not a he's not he's not a big name guy of any kind. He's just a simple down earth guy. But man, sometimes he sends me an outline or two that he's got. I said, man, this guy's anointed of God. He's got God's mind on these things here, and he's just you know. And I think, why did you ask me to come preach for? I said, you're a better preacher than me. Just you can preach it. You know, that's that's all good thing there. And uh, you know, but I just said to tonight as we look at, he says, you know, you, you didn't receive the word of God as you're getting it from a personality. You know, a lot of times we remember the quotes more than we re- remember the verse. And a lot of times we remember the illustration, and that's okay. We remember the illustration more than the practical principle. And that's, that's okay, but we have to understand something. If we're not very careful, our attachment is to the speaker instead of our attachment to the Word of God. You understand what I'm saying? Say amen. amen. Your attachment needs to be the Word of God. So he says, when you received the Word of God, you received it, when you received God's Word, you received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth. Now, we have to be honest. One of the things about the Word of God, one of the metaphors God uses to describe His Word is a mirror. Right? Mirrors don't lie. What you see is what it is. And sometimes the way we approach God's Word, we look at God's Word, and it's like James says, we forget what manner of man we are. We walk right away and forget what we saw. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And behold is what he is, he says, and he does what God tells him to do. The Bible says what? That man is blessed in what? His deed. And so we have to understand something tonight. The Word of God, the Word of God is not a novel. And the Word of God is not a biography. And the Word of God is not just a bestseller, though it is. The Word of God is God's Word. And the Word of God is truth. There is no falsity. There is no error. Now, so tonight, if you are struggling about what God's Word is, you need to decide tonight. You need to make your way down the aisle as soon as possible that all of God's Word is truth. Not some of it is truth or it becomes truth. It is truth. God gave us truth. Listen, truth is absolute. There are no errors in truth. It's absolute in its, its entirety there. Notice in 1 Timothy 3.15, he references the church, of the, the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Now, I said point number one, we're looking at the foundational pillar of a, of a model church. I said this Sunday night, talking about the family. Pillars are columns, they're upright columns that support a, that support a building. They are, they are not more than for cosmetic purposes. They are there to support the weight of the building. They give, they give foundational uh, help to it. It's structural, it gives structural support to it. It is designed to keep the roof of a building from collapsing. It's symbolic of strength, support, and durability. God's word is a pillar. It's a pillar, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Where the 
the pillar of the Word of God. Now notice, first of all, if you would tonight, the authority that's found in this truth. Would you write that down? The authority that's found in this truth. The Word of God is true. Say that with me tonight. The Word of God is true. Say that again with me tonight. The Word of God is true. Do you believe that? The Word of God is truth. Not some of it. Even the period is truth. It's truth. It's not a lie. Every bit of it. If all we did was read the Word of God, we did ourselves, our souls good because we read the truth. Now, you, you go with what, what our president talked about. You read in the news, it's fake news. This is not fake. It's not fake. It's real. That's why we want people to come here on Easter in every service. Notice John 17, 17, very quickly. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. By its own self-declaration, it's truth. Acts 26, 25. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. He said, hey, hey, he said to Paul, he said, uh, you're mad. You're crazy. He said, I'm not crazy. Crazy about Jesus, amen? Yeah. I'm not crazy. I speak to you the words of truth and soberness. This is the word of God I'm preaching to you, okay? People, people, people call you crazy. You preach the Bible, they say you're crazy. No, the Bible says it's the word of truth. Hey, notice 2 Corinthians 6, 7. He says this, by the word of truth. Notice Galatians 2, 5, the truth of the gospel, okay? Now, you're going to hear a term, and I'm going to, I'm going to rotate people on Wednesday nights. We're going to get this going probably in May or June. We're going to rotate people in groups on Wednesday nights. You need to see a, a, a presentation that's dealing with a, a big problem we're dealing with right now in, in, through across the nation, dealing with what they call gospel-centered churches. Now, when I grew up, gospel, if I said I was gospel-centered, you understood what I meant. That meant basically I preached that the gospel is Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again from the dead. Gospel-centered has a whole different meaning. You have to understand that the theologians, so-called theologians, and the, and, the, and the commentators, people today, they use the same terminology, but they're reading out of a different dictionary. And what they're saying by gospel-centered basically is a watered-down church, a watered-down gospel, a perversion of the gospel. It's what Paul calls in Hebrews 13 a strange doctrine. And what they're doing is they're messing with the minds of our young men right now that are in Bible colleges and seminaries and places like that. They're messing with their minds and saying, you need to be gospel-centered what you're doing, and all they're promoting basically is a lifestyle evangelism with a different ribbon around it, and they're promoting a, a gospel that basically is watered down. Don't be hard on the sinner. Don't tell them they're a sin. Just tell them that lifestyle evangelism works for them, and it's just it's twisting of the church and cutting down of the church and things of that nature, and, you, and a lot of you are going to need to go through this, this session. It's about a two-hour session to help you understand what is out there, because if you don't know the truth, you, you're not going to be free. You're going to be in bondage here, so you need to know that. The gospel is truth. The gospel does, hey, listen, the gospel does doesn't need you and I to improve upon it. When Paul said, when you receive the word of God, you receive it not as the word of men. The word of men are always looking to improve on the word of God. The word of men is trying to change the word of God. That's why in the book of Revelation, God places anathema on someone who takes away or adds to this book. Remember that in Revelation chapter 22 there. And so he says, the gospel is truth. Notice what he says in Ephesians 4.21. The truth is in Jesus. Praise God for that. Amen. Ephesians 5.9. For the fruit of the spirit. How do you know if someone has the fruit of the spirit? Three criteria. It's in all goodness, truth, and righteousness. That's how you know somebody has the fruit of the Spirit. How do, I, how do you know you have the fruit of the Spirit? It's in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's how you know you have the fruit of the Spirit. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be shamed, rightly, uh, shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hey, we're talking about truth. Now, we have to determine something tonight. Listen to me tonight. The truth is non-negotiable. Do you understand what I'm saying? Say yes. 
The truth is non-negotiable. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, you're, what, is, what is Pastor Fong going to entertain you with, or Pastor AJ preaches, or Brother Irwin preaches, Brother Justin preaches, Brother Vaughn preaches, Brother Dan, one of these guys, what are they going to entertain? That you came with the wrong attitude. Because it's not about the speaker. You're not just supposed to receive it as the word of man. You're supposed to receive it as what it is, the word of God, which it is in truth. It is a foundational pillar. The authority of God's word. Listen, that's why we stand for the reading of God's word. That's why we say amen at the, at, when we hear God's word. That's why, we, that's why we give reverence to the word of God. That's why we promote memorization of the word of God. I mean, it's the word of God which is true. Listen, James 1.18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. Listen, salvation doesn't come from my words and doesn't come from your words. He begets us through the word of truth. A person is born again through the word of God. That's why when you read over there in John chapter 3 about the new birth. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit. If you're not very careful, some people believe that water is referring, it will tell you that it's baptism. It's not baptism. And some people tell you the water is something else. The water coincides with what we just read in James 1.18. It's the word of truth by the washing of water of the word. It's talking about the word of God. You have the word of God coupled with the Holy Spirit of God working together, producing regeneration or the new birth, okay? And we read that over in Titus 3.5. That's why the word for new birth, born again, and regeneration, they're both the same word that we find in the Greek there. Now listen, by authority, God's word is the standard for faith, life, and practice, it's our standard for faith, life, and practice. If you're looking to some other book to get what your standard is, you're not obedient to God. I'm sorry to be a little strong about it, but you're not obedient to God. The Word of God is our standard for faith, life, and obedience, okay? Listen, that's the hard thing for somebody. They get saved, and they've been living a bad lifestyle. And you have to tell them, well, listen, these are things, you know, you, you lovingly tell them, this is, you can't live like that anymore. You can't do this anymore. And they're kind of taking that, well, you know, I can't, can't do that anymore. And, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I know they've legalized marijuana, but I'm just going to tell you as your pastor, while I'm alive here, I'm just going to tell you this. I'm going to tell somebody you get saved. You shouldn't be on marijuana. Amen. I'm talking about for recreational prayer. I'm talking about for the fact that you know, if your doctor prescribes cannabis, that's a whole different thing in terms of a narcotic there. It's a prescribed medication there, just like morphine, stuff like that. But I'm saying people do it for recreational purposes. And they're getting high on that. They're messing up their brain and all that. I mean, let's, let's get down to the, the issue of it. I'm going to tell them you have to stop that. If they're, if they're drinking away and doing stuff like that, I'm going to lovingly tell them you've got to stop this stuff. You said, whoa, that's being strong. No, that's being biblical. That's obeying God's word. It's obeying God's word, okay? You just have to understand that's what it is. You say, well, man, we're going to walk on tiptoes. Why are you walking on tiptoes when you got the truth, the authority of God's word? Amen? So, I mean, look at God's word tonight, okay? By authority, God's word is thus saith the Lord. It's the word of truth. By authority, it is the foundational pillar of the church. Listen, God's word is to be revered and respected. God said he'll exalt his word above his own name. Did he not say that? Okay. I mean, we look at God's word. By authority, we have a more sure word. By authority, we know that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good words. By authority, the word of God is to be preached and is to, is to be taught. Preach the word, Paul told Timothy. Why? It's the word of God. Listen this evening. We are to receive God's word as truth and not as a fable. We're to receive God's word as truth and not as supplemental reading from some foolish writer of the day. Here's where our error comes in, and error comes to church. We're trying to find out what this guy says over here and this guy says over there. I'm just going to tell you today, God's word doesn't need correction. It doesn't need amplification or someone to twist it about. All these other doctrines that are messing with your head, God's word is very clear in what it is because it's truth. It doesn't need, it doesn't need us to amplify on it through somebody else on that. God's word is truth is, is not to be the interpretation of a scornful person who contradicts and 
ridicules the pastor and the word of God. Receiving God's word as truth is not as a new trend or fad of day. I'm just saying tonight, if Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica, he said, listen, you have a foundational pillar if you're going to be a model church. You receive the word of God as it is in truth, not as the word of men. It's the word of God. So we see its authority. But notice in verse 13, we see the activity of the word of God. Now, it's one thing to receive it. But what's it doing with you? I'm not on any medications as of today. That might change tomorrow, okay? <laughs> Praise God for that, amen? I'm not high right now either, okay? <laughs> but I'd be very careful if I'm taking medicine, doesn't do any good for me. You take it, if, if the doctor's prescribed you a water pill because he just wants you to get psychologically thinking you're going to be okay, hey, listen tonight. If I have to take medicine, it better do what it's supposed to do for me, amen? Yeah. And not mess up my liver and all my other organs and stuff like that. Amen? Now, if you're receiving God's word, you've got to let it do something for you. Look what he says here in verse 13. Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And notice this next phrase. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, he's qualifying who's receiving this. He's talking to believers right now, them that believe. That's you and me, if you're saved. Effectually working is one Greek word. But the English translators, the King James translators, had to use two words to give a definition to it. And they used the term effectually working. It's our word energio, where we get our word energy from. Another word for it is Activity. It's actively at work. We use the term, you heard the term, an active agent. Okay? It's actively working at us, okay? It's working in us, which effectually worketh in you also that believe. Here's what God is telling us here. If we're under the authority of God's word, and this is what Paul was telling the church at Thessalonica, what makes you stand out as a church that, that, that's going the right direction, doing the right things, is that you're coming with hungry hearts, enthusiastic spirits, thirsting souls to receive the word of God and letting it work in you. You're letting it change you. You're letting it work in you. So what are some of the ways that we see this activity? Well, first of all, the word of God results in conversions. It's the word of God that says, not your words and my words, it's the word of God that says, hey, the word of God results in transformation. You get into God's word enough, it's going to change some bad habits. It's going to change some bad sin. It's going to convict you about some things in your life. It's going to happen. Hey, by the word, wait, wait. Those of us discouraged, the Word of God gives us comfort. Amen. The Word of God, the Word of God is, sometimes has to be salt on a wound, but other times it's a warm blanket that keeps us cuddled up. We feel like, thank God, God loves me. Amen? Amen. I'm just saying tonight, we, we look at the Word of God, it's activity and working in me. Hey, the Word of God purifies, sanctify them through thy truth. That Word is truth. The Word of God gives peace and comfort. It affects you work within us. Hey, what I'm saying tonight, they receive the Word of God for what it is. They receive it as truth. Hey, listen, here's the thought tonight. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. The Word of God is not broken. Listen, us decide tonight, it's truth. They decided it's not broken. We don't need to improve on it. We don't need to add to it. We need to let it work in our heart. Listen tonight, if we want to see victory in our Christian lives, the Word of God must be allowed to affect you, work inside you and me. I'm just saying tonight, it ain't broke, so don't try to fix it. Number two. Number two, we see the foundational pillars, which you notice verse 14. Notice the fundamental pattern. Paul said, for ye, brethren, those who just came in late, I want you to underline this phrase, became, and underline this phrase, followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Underline that whole phrase. Followers of the churches of God, 
in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. He's speaking about local churches. He's not just talking about the church of Jerusalem. This church at Thessalonica had the privilege of having the great Apostle Paul get them started, preaching the synagogues to get it started. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to going to heaven and asking Paul about how he did all that. How he stood in those synagogues with those stoic-looking, angry-looking Jewish people there, wondering who is this bald-headed guy He's preaching away at us, just, just, you know, ugly as sin there, you know, just preaching away at us and reasoning with them and opening alleging the Scriptures and preaching that Christ must needs died and rose again from the dead and how they got saved. Listen, he started there and he had a brief period of time, but listen, Paul, Paul spent whatever time he had. Paul had an intensive discipleship ministry with those people. He had such an intensive discipleship ministry he got the word of God to them. Now we're preaching through 1 Thessalonians because you're going to hear me repeat over and over again. Paul is going to say, well, you know these things and I've taught you these things. I mean, they were very well versed about es- eschatology and about the rapture, about the second coming of Christ. In fact, they were so well versed about it, he not only talked about the rapture, he talked to them about the second coming, he talked to them about the tribulation, he talked to them about the antichrist. We see that in 2 Thessalonians when we get there. He talked to them about the Holy Spirit being taken out of the world when believers go up. I mean, he talks about, he goes in depth about all these things and those, those are things he told them when he was there. I mean, he told them about the Holy Spirit. He taught them about prayer. He taught them about the Word of God. He taught them about sanctification of your Christian life. He talked them about the rapture. He taught them about evangelism. He taught them about how to uh, deal with people and have a good people spirit and people skills. He taught them about discipleship. I mean, every major doctrine of Scripture is found in First and Second Thessalonians. But Paul said, listen, I'm not, I wasn't there very long. And so Paul is writing to them and he's commending them for something. Because though he wasn't there to be their instructor, those people were given enough enlightenment by the Holy Spirit. They made this decision. We've got to find, we've got to find a right model. We've got to find a model to follow. And at that time, they didn't have all the confusion of all these different churches and denominations. It's kind of like going to Baskin Robbins. What flavor do I choose? I'm simple. Just give me Rocky Road. Amen. But everybody else wants to try all these other different types of things. That's fine with you. But that's how people teach teach church. Church is a consumer mentality, not a conviction mentality. This was a church that was founded where they made their determination. We're going to be a church of conviction, not a church of convenience. We're going to be a church of conviction, not a church that's contemporary. We're going to be a church that pleases God, not a church that pleases men. And so you go down here to this church here, and you realize as he's talking to them, he says, you are followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. How did he find that out? Timothy, we read that in chapter 3. Timothy went back and he said, Paul, you won't believe this. He said, and Paul was encouraged in chapter 3. Why? He's encouraged because he said he was worried about their faith. He was worried about how foundation was their faith. He was worried about if they started to defect and gone off on other things and false world th- things going on. And Judaism was the big, the big fad of the day at that time. And Paul was encouraged. They were, they were mimicking and following the churches which were in Judea. They followed those churches and said, that's our pattern there. Now I want you to understand, there was no church written on, there was nothing written about how, how your church should run. And there was nothing written except what Paul gave and Peter gave and John gave about that. They had to just follow that. So they were communicating these churches. And what are you doing about this? And what are you doing about that? And they weren't, they were saying, well, this is what Jesus taught us. This is apostolic doctrine. An apostolic doctrine is not man-made. Apostolic doctrine, what Jesus placed down to them. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? 
But Jesus gave them. And listen, what was handed down to the apostles, and they did in that first century, hey, that's the same doctrine we have tonight. And that's the same Jesus we preach tonight. And that's the same methods we preach tonight. Now, we do things maybe a little bit different just based upon how they probably door-knocked a little bit different than us. And they did a lot of, they did a lot of street evangelism more than we probably do. And they got in the synagogues. And we want, and I, I don't think it would work very well if Pastor Fong went to synagogue and started preaching the gospel, okay? I don't think it would work very well, okay? Yeah. But I'm just saying today that, you know, they did some things were just that fit, their, that fit their time and arrangement there. Watch what happens here. They became followers of the churches of God, which are Judea. Now, they had the right model. Now, here's our problem today in, in today's economy world. People are looking at different models, but they're not biblical models. They're looking at men. They're looking at success. Paul doesn't reference success in verse 14. He references suffering. Because if you're going to be a biblical church, you're going to suffer along the way. If you're going to be a model church, you're going to be criticized. You're going to be hated. You're going to be scorned. You're going to be ridiculed. They're going to put nasty things about you on social media. Hey, if we've ever had a time. Listen, it used to be they protest you with signs outside your church. Nowadays, they can get a substantial audience by just putting a posting somewhere on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter somewhere. And all of a sudden, your church is all over the place. People don't even know you. but They just think you're a bad person. People know how to harness the power of social media to change and shape people's opinion. That's why I'm going to say to you tonight, don't believe everything that you read out there, but you can believe the Word of God because it's truth. Paul is commending this church because it was a church that was moving the world. G.K. Chesterton said this, we do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. They follow the model, strong Bible preaching. We've got a society today, and I'm hearing this even in our Bible colleges, where they hear strong Bible preaching. And they're going to say things like this, well, you offended me. Well, the Word of God's going to offend you. Your problem is you've been coddled by your mama so long, she's told you so many good things about you that you forgot that you got, if you're going to be in the ministry, Romans 12, 3 says, Don't think, let, let not any man think more highly of himself than he ought to think. And I think we need to get to the model place. We are nobodies, people. We are nobodies, okay? We're just bags of dirt, excuse me, here. We're just, we're just bags that God breathed into that were made out of dirt. And we have to understand, we must have the model of the apostle John, of John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so when you look at this over here, the churches, this church was a model of strong Bible preaching. They followed the model of separation from sin and from error and apostasy and worldliness. And we'll see this as we work our way through here. They followed the model of taking care of the flock of God which was among them. They followed the model of winning souls. Go back to chapter 1. Look at chapter 1 again. He said in verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and patience of hope in our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God our Savior. And then he said this in verse 7 so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia for from you sounded out the word of the Lord what is that? that's so many evangelism they echoed out what they received they were echo of the word of God they were echoing they were following this good model they learned from the churches in Judea they followed the model of making disciples of Jesus Christ when we get to chapter 3 I'm going to talk to you about discipleship ministry and what discipleship ministry is and how we're to disciple and why everyone should be involved in the discipling process but it begins first you've got to be discipling let me say tonight discipling is not taking ABC's of discipleship and filling in the blanks discipling is when you're filling the blanks is it changing your heart if you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you must determine you're going to pick up your cross and follow him. We have a lot of Christians that are picking up a lot of things. You're not picking up the cross. Time to pick up the cross tonight. 
We need to follow Jesus and follow him all the way. Listen, that cross hasn't changed. That cross still needs some followers of Jesus Christ here. They followed the model of building strong relationships in the church through spiritual fellowship. We'll see that in chapter 5. They followed the model of being spirit-filled Christians. They followed the model of praying without ceasing. They followed the model of serving the Lord. Hey, listen, they followed the model of having a revival spirit at all times. They followed the model of giving abundantly to the Lord's work. Hey, they followed the model of shining brightly in a dark pagan world. Church at Thessalonica was on fire for Jesus and making a difference because it followed a fundamental pattern. I wish I had tied tonight for us to just study Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, and then going from there to chapter 3 and to chapter 4 and chapter 5, and going through all the book of Acts so we can understand how the churches of Judea, before, before they expanded into Samaria, and before it went to Antioch and Cyprus and Serene and all those other places before it spread out, we have to understand there was a fundamental pattern. There was a pattern that was set. That's why, that's why when the church started at Antioch, some men went there and preached the gospel. They started winning their friends to Christ. Guess what they did? They wrote to the church of Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem received a good report. What did they do? They sent one of their best men, in fact, their best men to, to take that church who would have a heart for Antioch. That was Barnabas. What did Barnabas bring? The fundamental pattern. That's why that church in Antioch took off so quickly. That's why it became, as you read Acts chapter 13, they became what we call the cradle for modern missions. And so we look at this here tonight, and we see a church that's on fire for God. They follow the pattern. Listen to what Leonard Ravenhill said. You never have to advertise a fire. That's true. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, I'm not talking literally on fire, and since it says the building's on fire, I'm talking about the people. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise. Advertise The community will already know. Hey, does the community know this church is on fire? I think so. They know we're on fire? Do our schools know we're on fire? I heard tonight that, uh, that one, of our, one of our church members over at, at, at the South Hayward BART station, and she got off the train, and they found out that she gave out 250 Easter flowers. Have you been to the South Hayward BART station in recent days? That is not one of the easiest places to go. This church member boldly just started giving, gave out 250. I said, praise God for that. Amen. I'd say tonight that here's a church that followed that pattern there, the pattern of that. I'm just saying tonight, as a church... We're facing an epidemic crisis of churches being led by unqualified men who are always looking for affirmation, attention from other people. They haven't figured out you get your affirmation from Jesus Christ. These men are misrepresenting the Bible concept of a model church that takes a powerful, life-changing, sin-hating, devil-renouncing stand for God. They want to be people-pleasers. They want to be up on Christianity today, which I will not endorse you to read. They want, to be on, they want to be on this model. They want to be on this thing. They want to be the guy up here on social media here. They want to be this, the next new guy who's got a church named the City on the Hill or named after Hillsong and stuff like that. They want to identify with all that kind of stuff there. Let me tell you tonight, we need to get back to a place where as a church and as a people, we identify with the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, where did you get all this stuff? We're facing a crisis in our church, folks. We don't have qualified young men to fill the pulpits of guys that are retiring. We've got men going off and going on doing other things and the men coming up. I'm a little suspect what kind of pot they're drinking out of, amen? There's poison in those pots. If you look at how Jesus commended the churches of Asia Minor, he said the same thing. He said they, he commended them for their labor. He commended them for rooting out false teachers. 
He commended them for going through open doors that he gave them. He commended them for having patience in the midst of their difficulties. He commended them for having works, uh, uh, works for the, the, their works for the Lord increase, and they practiced love for the brethren. And this gospel coalition movement that's going out there, which is basically plaguing the minds of men, and they're basically telling church planters, independent Baptist church planters, you know what you need to do is you need to yoke up with the Southern Baptist Convention because the Southern Baptist Convention, they love you and they will fund you and they will subsidize you. And so instead of having hard work and faith and determination that God's going to see them through and that God called them to start that church and that if God called you to start that church, God's going to take care of you. Instead of that, they look for this back door way out. They want to get the funding from the Southern Baptist Convention. You say, is there a problem with getting funding for the Southern Baptist Convention. Yes, there is a problem with the Southern Baptist Convention because if you look at them, you go to a number of their churches. A number of their churches don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. A number of them are unbiblical in their approach. They have women preachers in the pulpit. They have charismatics in different places. And the same problem persists in all of these churches where we've got problems. They've got Calvinism, charismatics, and cookheads running those places. Amen? And so everybody's warm and open-minded. Listen, we got to be friendly. I'm for being friendly to everybody. But when it comes to local New Testament church, I'm to feed the flock of God which is among us, taking the oversight thereof. And I'm saying tonight, the Bible says we've got to watch out for wolves who come in sheep's clothing that want to root out, root out the flock. So what happens? What happens if these guys don't listen? They want to follow this gospel coalition. And they want to go off of this Calvinistic direction. And they want to go off of these things which are not biblical and heretical. What do you do there? Well, Paul got tired of that. And he had to tell Timothy as a young preacher, let me tell you the remedy for that. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, please. Don't look at your notes. Go to the Bible because let the, let the truth of God's word speak to you. First Timothy 6. As a spiritual leader in the church, you need to know this. Verse 3. If any man teach otherwise... You're not teaching the truth. You're bringing some man's opinions. You're, you're bringing supplemental facts here. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Listen, I'm going to tell you all this gospel coalition stuff is not resulting in godliness. It's resulting in strife and division. It needs to result in a changed life. And notice what he says there in verse 4. He says, he is proud. Well, that tells you right there. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godly, he says, from such withdraw thyself. You know what that's called? That's called ecclesiastical separation. You know what he's saying there? When you follow a fundamental pattern, he's saying it ain't broke. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I like to see more people in our church, and we're doing everything we can to reach it. Brother Vaughn just sent me something just a little while ago. Today was our first day. We're doing a real heavy social media presence to just get the word out there about, about our, Easter, our Easter thing. We had 2,000 people that responded to it today Amen. on the first day. Because we're trying to harness the power of social media for the sake of the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to knock on doors, so don't get happy here, okay? And that doesn't mean you're not supposed to be inviting your friends. You say, well, you know, you've got a social media. No, I know that. But there's something about face-to-face contact that still works. Amen? Okay? I still like when I go to In-N-Out Burger, I want to see the face of the person giving me a hamburger. Amen? You know? All right? Models at work. Okay? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
We see the foundational pillar. We see the fundamental pattern. But I want you to see something else. Please, would you follow me tonight? Look at verses 14 to 18. I want you to notice the fiery pressures. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they of the Jews. Now, isn't that kind of interesting? He says, you follow their pattern, and you suffer it the same way like the churches of Judea. So he's talking about their persecution. Now, it doesn't mean everyone has someone throw a rock at them, but you know what it meant? Some of them had their families disown them. We've had that happen in our church. Some of them lost their jobs because they took a stand for Jesus. You know, a lot of those people, they said, I'm not working Sunday. Because remember, Jews, Jews, Sabbath day was, was, was Saturday. Who are you to tell me you're not going to work on the first day of the week? Well, because it's the Lord's day. Well, then, you know, we're, we're Sabbath people. Well, he, I'm, I'm the Lord's people. Amen. You lost your job. Or wives that got saved. And they had a drunkard husband or a husband that was messing around. He kicked her out of the home. He kicked the children out of the home. She said, well, if you're going to believe that, you don't have to be here. I mean, that's what they were dealing with there. And slaves were being beaten up. The slave got, got saved. They were beaten up. And widows, widows had nowhere to go. They didn't have social relief and social assistance. I mean, they were suffering great things for taking a stand for Jesus Christ. And people said, oh, you're, you're part of that way? We're not going to give you any money for what you believe in there. So notice what he says here. For you, you suffer like these. So notice verse 15. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Now notice verse 18. Here's where I'm going. Paul is saying, listen, there are a lot of difficulties that you've gone through as a model and following the right model. There's a lot of difficulties. You've been ostracized. You've been hindered. You've been told not to do this. You've lost your jobs. I mean, you've had all these things. You've had a stigma attached to you that you really didn't want to have. And he says, we're not there for, uh, to, be, to, to help you, and I want to see you. And then he said in verse 18, wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again. Now remember, Paul's writing this. He's at Corinth. When he left Thessalonica, he went to Berea, didn't stay there very long. He left Berea, he went down to Athens, didn't stay there very long. He went from Athens down in Corinth, he's down there. He misses these people. He's their pastor. He helped them. He wants to be there for them. He's got a shepherd's heart. He wants to grow them, but he can't there. He, he can't go there because his heart's in danger. And notice what he says there. I wanted to go there even once and again, but notice the phrase he used there and underline this. But Satan hindered us. Yeah. Now let me say something to you tonight. Before we get off and start blaming everybody because something failed. And getting mad at the brothers and sisters, something failed. Look back at verse 18. Satan hindered us. And remind yourself tonight, we are in a spiritual battle. Listen, I don't know if you, any of you saw that today. There was a posting. I put it out on Twitter today about Yale, Yale University, their law school basically came out. They succumbed to the pressure of the LBGTQ community where they basically said, if you, are, if you, if you work for a, 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 an employer that endorses Christian values, we're, you're, you're, they pressured Yale says, don't give them any stipends. Don't give those students that worked or interned there any stipends. So now they're persecuting the Christians there on Yale. There's been a full turnaround. Hey, that's reverse discrimination, beloved. And nobody's crying about it. And you look at over here, you look at over here, Paul's saying, Satan hindered us. Satan hates the church. 
Satan hates the local church. He hates this church. He hates me. He hates you. Satan hates churches that make so many discipling a priority. Satan hates praying churches. Satan hates giving churches. Satan hates love in the church. Satan hates churches that try to coalesce and stay together. Satan wants us going after each other. He wants us to fight in war amongst each other. He wants the teenagers fighting with the college students, and the college students fighting with the young adults, and the young adults fighting with the marriage, and the marriage fighting with the retirees. He wants their language groups fighting with each other. He doesn't want us to have a church that's coalescing and oneness in Jesus Christ. Hey, Satan wants it again. He said hindered them, and he hinders us too. Satan hates a model that has the word of God as foundational pillar. You just need to go out a little bit there. Some of you might be happy with it. There's a lot of our church in the landscape. You have some of our guys that travel a bit. A lot of church in our landscape that have less and less and less of the word of God. And those are signs that there's something wrong. And here's what I hear from naive people. Well, I need to go there because I'm going to help. Just tell me how you're going to help it. How are you going to leave something strong? that's helping your life, and you're going to go to something that's on the decline. How are you going to help that? And God didn't even lead you there to help that. And let me just say this again. I have to say this all again. I get this over again. I get this over and over again. Pastor, I prayed about it. Really? I'm going to do this because I prayed about it. Well, my, my, my fault to that is, while you prayed about it, did you get a compliment from the Word of God where the Word of God substantiated what you prayed about or what you decided on? People say, well, I'm going to, and this is what I give people that want to leave the church. They say, well, I'm going to leave the church because I prayed about blah, 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 blah. And I said, really, why? And then I find out it's not about doctrine. It's about preference. It's about because they were offended. And I said, you know, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you look at the Bible model? Joseph was hurt by his brothers. And they thought he was going to do them in. And he said, hey, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. He cried and forgave them. He gave them more than what they deserved. Hey, David was hurt by Saul, but he stayed loyal to Saul. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, he, he, he made himself wise. He was more than wise in, in what he did. He behaved himself wise and he behaved himself more wisely before. I mean, you look at all the scriptural examples. Hey, everybody's going to get hurt somewhere along the way. There's misunderstanding. I'm not saying that's right. And we're all different personalities. And some of us are more lenient. Some of us are more hard and all this stuff. And it doesn't, that doesn't make it right. We've got to work on it. By the way, we, we just have to learn that a soft answer turned the way wrath. Amen. We get hurt so easily, we're going to leave. And so we said we prayed about it. I'm going to tell you, 90% of the people come to my office and tell me they prayed about something. Give me no scripture verse support it. You are acting out of the carnality of your flesh. And you're out of the will of God when you make that decision. You didn't pray to God, you prayed to yourself. How does Satan impede the church? Well, let me give you some words real quickly, and I'm going to tell you how this all wraps up. Number one, Satan impedes the church through distractions. Are you distracted tonight? The world's pulling you away. Set your affections on things above. Satan impedes the church through discouragement. Hey, if, you're not, if you don't guard your spirit, and we're going to see this in 1 in Thessalonians 5. You know, the Bible talks about people that have a feeble mind. That doesn't mean that they're, they're weak in mind. It means that their people get easily discouraged. Hey, look up here, church. Did you know we have people in our church, even this room, the nature, just how you grew up and whatever, they just get easily discouraged. And some of us go on thinking, well, you know, suck it up and so forth. You just don't understand. Some people just get discouraged. They're always in a constant state of discouragement. The Bible says we need to support them. We need to help them. We need to encourage them. And you don't realize for some people get easily discouraged. Just coming to church and just hearing the Bible open, that just gave them all the encouragement. They need to go home. Amen? Satan impedes the church through disagreement. And listen, everything people argue over, I've seen this over the years, everything they argue over is all about preferences. 
Satan impedes the church through divisions, wars, and fightings. Satan impedes the church through digressions. We go in different directions. Satan impedes the church through disinterest. We have less participation, drop participation. We've lost our passion. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons why it's good for you to have a good habit about doing certain things like reading your Bible, about praying, about giving out tracts, about soul winning, about, about shaking so many hands a week at church. You know why that's good? Because it keeps you in the habit of doing the right things. The moment you start to do less and less of it, you know what happens? You lose interest. You know how to destroy your marriage? Don't come home. You don't come home as a husband. If you're not coming home, you've destroyed your marriage. As a wife, if you're always on something else, you're fooling around on your phone or something else or all the time, and you're never not paying attention to your husband, you're going to lose your marriage. You want to lose your kids? You're off on something else over here and something else over there, and your kids need your time. Listen, you're going to lose your kids. Listen, all you have to do is show no interest, and that's why it's important to get into the church with both feet, both hands, all your body, beat it all the way. So I'm here, Jesus. Satan impedes the church through defilement. No one asked you tonight, is there sin in the camp? Satan impedes the church through delusions among the members. Since me, some members start following heretical blogs or podcasts of a church growth expert and think this is what we're, this must mean what we're doing doesn't work. That must mean something's broken. And here's what's going on. They're doing exactly the Old Testament model. They're following the Rehoboams who listen to the young men of the day who have no experience, who are not proven about godliness and holiness. Instead of listening to proven older men who know what's going on, know the hearts of people. So they're going to follow the young men. They wind up dividing everything when they do something like that. You prove to me that the contemporary church movement is of God. It's caused division through the churches. Now you've got churches with blended worship and traditional services and contemporary services. And then the older people leave and go over. You know what that is? That's a work of Satan when he divides the church that way. Now let me give you Satan's strategy against churches that follow a biblical model. Number one, look at verses 14 to 15. He talks about verses 14 to 15. And actually, 15 to 16. They said they persecuted us. They pleased not God. Notice verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles they might be saved. You know one of the first things that Satan wants to do? He wants to hinder the advance of the gospel. Yes. Now, you think about it. Everybody here in this room is busy. We're so busy. We're going to wait till next Thursday and realize, oh, the Easter music is around the corner. I better grab a stack and give it out. We're a little bit too late. I'm just telling you, that's how Satan works. We replace great things with good things. He hinders the advance of the gospel. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Can you imagine that? What an opportunity. A great paradigm shift has happened in the, in the gospel community there that now they're able to get the gospel not just to Jews but to Gentiles. And they're saying, you can't preach to them. And you don't go to them. If you go to the Gentiles, we're going to stone you to death. Number two, verses 15 to 16, they said they killed the prophets and the Lord Jesus and persecuted us. Satan will make strong so many churches a target for attacks through criticism and innuendos. Oh, you ought to hear the things I've been hearing about our church outside lately. Disgruntled people are not here and just saying, well, this is what they have. They have all these perceptions that they got from somebody else who's disgruntled. And, and I said, well, what are they doing for the Lord? Oh, they're just, they're just hanging out. They're not doing anything. 
Well, I, I have a problem with that, with that kind of counsel because if they're not really walking with God, why are you listening to them? What happened to Psalms 1-1? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the... Yeah, right. Number three. He will hinder trying to reach more unreached people. Forbidding to speak to Gentiles. Hey, years ago, yes, years ago, when there was this dichotomy between blacks and whites, in the South especially, if you were, if you were a church predominantly that was populated by white people and you had a black person come in there, man, that was anathema. And that was the same thing happening those days. A Gentile walked into a congregation that was filled with Jews. And bear in mind, Jewish culture and Gentile culture are very different. <laughs> man. And man, you as a Gentile, you walk in there, you did not feel welcome from the moment you walked through that door. Now, let me tell you something. Everybody comes to the door of Heritage Baptist Church, you make them feel welcome. Amen. And they need to sense there is a love of Jesus in the heart of the people here. So when they go out, they'll say, you know what? I'm not sure if I really want to come here, but I know that people are loved here. Amen. <laughs> Number four, it will hinder the pastor in trying to effectively shepherd the flock and from attaining more productivity among his people. Look what he says here. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, I like that, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, as Satan. He said, you know what? You know the work of the devil is? The work of the devil is that you're putting out so many fires and dealing with so many issues and so many heartaches and all these other things that these new phenomena are coming to our church and dealing with doctrinal errors and people that won't listen to disobedient issues. You know what happens? That keeps, it, it takes the pastor from where instead of 80% of his time being spent with 80% of his people and winds up being 80% of his time spent with 20% of the problems or, 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 or you know, whatever it is, the percentage here. You're spending all your time on that and you're just finding yourself, you just can't get the thing going ahead. And I'm just saying it here. Here's what Satan's doing. He says, Satan hindered us. And please understand this tonight. Before you blame somebody in the church or blame me or something, always ask yourself this question. Was Satan behind all this? Is Satan to blame? And I'm going to tell you, yes, he is to blame. Because Satan, if it leads to division, if it leads to disagreement, if it leads to anger, it leads to delusional thinking, it leads to, to strife and wars, Satan was behind that. Satan, in effect, is trying to tell you me what you have is broke. You need to fix it. And I'm here to tell you, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Amen? Let's close tonight. We need to go. We see the foundational pillars for a model church. We see the fundamental pattern of a model church. We see the fiery pressures that a model church has as we close. What do you do when you're discouraged? Paul's discouraged. What do you do when there's defections? What do you do when people say, I'm not part of that anymore? I need to pull out. When Satan impedes progress, it's discouraging. When the vision can't happen fast enough because of setbacks, it's discouraging. Worse yet, when people turn against you, get a sour attitude, it's very discouraging. When undercurrents are happening, doctrine, philosophy in the church, and you feel like you're the only one addressing it, it's discouraging. You feel like nobody's amening because they're really, not, they're really not sure what to amen about because they don't want to lose their friendship or they're afraid of offending their family. It can be discouraging. So you know what Paul said about that? He said, yes, we must hold to the foundational pillars. And yes, we must follow the fundamental pattern. You became followers of the churches in Judea. And yes, we're going to be realistic. There are the fiery pressures. But as we look at verses 19 and 20, and I've got to close very quickly. What kept Paul on track? 
What kept Paul, what kept Paul encouraged? What kept Paul doing the main thing? What did he tell this church to keep them doing the main thing and staying focused on being a model church for Jesus Christ? And as we close tonight, would you notice the future presentation? Satan hindered us, but what is our hope? We're joy, crown rejoicing. The other day I had somebody come in and they just dropped a bomb on me. Frankly, was, I didn't really realize it until about three hours later. They were completely disrespectful of me. Dropped a bomb on me. And I went from hurt to disappointed to just, I started getting angry there. And then I got discouraged. And I'm trying to get ready for Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, I got all my notes together. I'm trying to get ready for that. And all these other things I had to do. Some memos I had to get done. It's 9 o'clock on Saturday night. I'm trying to get, get, get on top of these things. I took a moment. I said, Lord, you got to help me because this, I'm letting this thing get the best of me. And I thought about this verse. What is our hope or joy or crown? You know what got up on my heart? You guys. Amen. Our church. I started thanking God for all of our people. And people stayed here and stayed faithful, being right with it. He said, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoice? You know what Paul is saying here? He said, if I let all this stuff bother me, if I let all this suffering, persecution bother me, I'm going to get discouraged. He said, you know what? I'm looking beyond that. I've got, I've got a, I'm looking to heaven. I'm looking one day in heaven. I'm looking one day. All of you folks there at Thessalonica, that God saved there, you're going to be in heaven. You're the joy and the crown and the hope rejoicing. He said here in verse 20, he said, for you are glory and our joy. He says, you know what here? God, Paul was discouraged, but just for a little moment, he said, I'm, I'm looking forward to that future presentation. He's saying, it's seeing the people you've labored with. They're going to be in heaven. It's seeing the people that have been won to Christ. They're going to be in heaven. You're going to see the victories in Jesus Christ. They're going to be in heaven. You're going to see soul winners you've trained who've led other people to Christ. They'll be in heaven. You're going to see heaven populated with your family members and relatives and people. It's going to be wonderful in heaven. Amen? Amen. But I like what Charles Spurgeon said. There will be no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers on earth. The big picture is the future presentation. Please help me tonight. Please help me tonight. It ain't broke. Don't try to fix it. The last two months, we've been all over guarding very carefully the possibilities of false doctrines coming in, other stuff happening there, and ain't broke. This is not broke. The local church is not broke. Broke in sense of money, but not broke in terms of philosophy, okay? okay. It ain't broke. Don't try to fix it. Get the power of God tonight. We got the right model. Father, tonight, thank you, Lord, for Paul's encouragement. <clears throat> and I pray, if nothing else, help us to love our church. I'm encouraged by the fact we have a God who loves this church and died for it. Now this evening, we need to consider that, just as Paul talked to that church at Thessalonica, they received the word of God, not as men, the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Change us tonight. Help us to have non-negotiable convictions about the church and about Jesus, and about the word, about reaching people with the gospel. And tonight we pray for a revival spirit you'll give us for your glory. Use the invitation time, Lord, to grow us, to love us more. Help us to love one another and be thankful for the church you've given to us. 
Would you bless that tonight in Jesus' name? The piano is going to play. I'm going to invite you to stand. You need to come. You just thank God for nothing. Just come and thank God for your church tonight. Amen? Thank God for the church. Just pray for the God to do something tonight. Let's take a stand for the biblical church. Take a stand for the biblical church tonight. <clears throat> It ain't broke, don't fix it. Father, as people pray around the room tonight, just help us to go out with a sense of holiness and power and love of you. Thank you, God, for our folks here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for people who are faithful and, Lord, finding traffic, just trying to get here to be a church tonight. That's just a blessing this evening. Thank you for faithfulness. Thank you for folks that just love their church and love you. But, God, I pray tonight we'd receive the word of God as it is in truth and realize we needed to transform us and change us. Father, help us to stay true to the fundamental pattern. Help us, Lord, to rest our, 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 our souls on the, found, on, the, on the foundational pillars. God, help us if we're going through some fiery pressures right now that, Lord, we realize that Satan is the one who does the hindering. Satan is the one who throws these fiery darts at us. And then, Lord, help us as we consider the discouragements and some of the things that go on. Help us to look at the, consider the future presentation. We need to look to eternity. And Lord, there'll be souls in heaven because we worked hard. There'll be souls in heaven and family members in heaven because we did what we're supposed to do. Would you give us boldness? Give us 